This is the Endurance Church Podcast with Pastor Anthony Bass. At Endurance Church, our goal is to live well and finish strong by becoming faithful disciples of Christ. We do this through loving, disciplined, Bible-based teaching, encouragement, and care. For more information about our ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. And now, today's message. Um, but I love that uh, sometimes, so often you get like perfect um, videos that line up with what we're going to talk about, and, and that was perfect. Honestly, this is one of those times where I could literally just walk away because everything was already communicated what's in the sermon. When we talk about the prodigal son, most times people forget about the, um, the older son. A lot of times people think it's a perfect story when it ends with the young man coming home and the father basically, you know, embarrassing himself and hugging him, right? Most people think that's in the story. But we realize that, remember, Jesus was communicating to the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they, whether we know it or not, had a bigger problem than this son who, who, who strayed, or, or the, the sinners, as they called it. The issue is, in life, we are all alienated from God. It just looks different in different people. For instance, if we're doing church, and you've been around church long enough, I've been in ministry for 20 years. I've been, think about that, I've been in ministry for 20 years, like I've seen ministry, and, and you do it long enough, you basically almost can guarantee like what's going to happen after a while. You know, all oh, I know exactly how that's going to end. Like I've, I've seen it so long, but, but the hardest thing to do in ministry is this one thing. How do you challenge people when they have pride? See, if somebody 
is is committing a sin of sexual sin, like it's go, it's going to be obvious. Like you you'll address it. If someone kills somebody, like you're you're going to address it. Is someone um, does drugs, like you're going to address it. Someone has an addiction, you're going to address it. But but pride, that one's hard because before you even address it, the person in pride has to what? Accept that they are in pride. See, the person in pride is blinded because of their pride. They're self-focused. And they don't realize all the damage they're causing based upon their actions. And sometimes we have this proclivity to allow people in pride to do what they do because we think, oh, that's just them being them. But the truth is they're, they're, dis- they're destroying themselves and their relationship with the Lord. Pride, the Bible says, God is always fighting against the proud person, always. Proud is one of the most destructive sins in the scriptures outside of covetousness. And what's interesting in this parable are both. The younger son, he was coveting. He wanted more than what his father had given him. And that represented those sinners as Jesus was communicating with. They, they wanted more. And, and when you want more, more, when you start coveting, the, the next sin, the one that precedes coveting is the one most people see. But coveting is an internal sin. It's, it's in the heart. Now, pride, that's the hard one to see, right? Like, how can, oh, you're in pride. Now, how many times have you ever called somebody out that they're, they're in pride? How, how'd that go? <laughs> right? How'd that go? Oh, they really received that one, didn't they? No. They did not. Matter of fact, it got worse. That's normally what happens. And when someone is in pride, you need for them to come to themselves. Now, in the story, the original, the first son who left, he came to himself because his covetousness led him to a pig pen. But not the older son. He was in his father's house. He was looking down on his brother and he also started looking down on who the dad pride is a monster it destroys relationships faster than anything else when you think you are better when you think you deserve more when you think you deserve more respect more attention more acclaim when you deserve to be high when you deserve pride what Satan said in the beginning. I, I need to, since I'm the one who looks the best, I, I need to be like the most high. And that has been with humanity ever since. I remember one day I was in a men's ministry at a church and I asked this pastor the question. He did not answer it. I said, Pastor, how can you make a distinction between being proud and being a man? And he just stuttered for a minute. And then did the best he could to answer it. But it's hard. Because a lot of times in our culture today, we think to be proud is to be motivated. It's what pushes you further and faster. It helps you to achieve. And now we have social media, and we throw out there all our achievements for people to celebrate us. Yeah, look at what I'm doing. I want to be acknowledged. I deserve to be acknowledged. Pride. How do we address it? The Bible says, humble yourselves, right? Before what? 
But God, he'll humble you. And we don't want God to humble us, particularly when he tells us to humble ourselves. He's trying to give us a way out because he will humble us. Pride. It's a monster. But the one thing I found at the end of this um, parable was this, that the evidence that you're not walking in love is when you are walking in pride. That's, that's how you know you're not walking in love. I, I love my wife and I's relationship, man. We, we go at it. We talk. We fuss. And then we even tell her, oh, you're in pride. Who are you talking to? You must be crazy telling me I'm in Wait a minute. And you go away for a while. And you get yourself together. And you come back, you say, you know what? I was walking in, in pride. And to me, I could deal with a person like that 99% of the time. When you acknowledge you're wrong. But when you're the type of person that doesn't acknowledge that you're wrong, when you're in pride, you keep on going, expect people just to, oh, it's cool. No, I got a problem with you. Because you're destroying not only yourselves, but all those other people. People are having to adjust to you. No, we adjust to God. And if we are servants like God, we will humble ourselves and serve others. See, pride thinks it's about you. It's all about you. We hear songs that's about us. I mean, that's what social media is about us. Now we have magazines that's about us. Our team's about us. I mean, everything's about us. How do you win that fight? You go to Jesus, and he changes your heart. Because what's natural to most human beings is to survive. And we think when we survive, we're doing what logically makes sense. But in Christ, we love, we sacrifice ourselves daily for the sake of others. And when we live like that, we're living like God. Got a quote, and we'll get started. Oh, it's not, it's not working. Next slide, please. It says, God is completely sovereign. God is infinite in wisdom. God is perfect in love. God in his love always wills what is best for us. In his wisdom, he always knows what is best. And in his sovereignty, he has the power to bring it about. We talked about this a couple of months ago about waiting on God. And that's a hard process. And that's what made, in my opinion, King David so special, that he had the capacity and the wherewithal to wait on God. A lot of times when King David was doing what he was doing, people, his particular men, was like, what are you doing? Kill Saul. Now's the time to move. Isn't it all about you? But King David had this ability to say, no, no, no. I need to wait on God. Far be it from me that I put my hands on God's anointed. Like something else will happen, but I'm not going to do it. But this was a guy who was anointed to be king. Why wouldn't you take control of your own life? No, because I'm going to wait on God. And because he waited, most of his men became frustrated, but they learned something very valuable about life that most people never want to learn. The beauty of brokenness. The broken person is not proud. The broken person has learned humility. The broken person is completely dependent upon God. When you learn to wait on God, you learn brokenness. And that's the part most people stop. When God puts you in that situation, when you're frustrated, 
When you're like, man, I'm getting out of here. I want to do it my way. I'm going to do it. And you wanna, you're trying to, when the boss isn't doing your right, okay, I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to start talking about other people so that the boss, so the people are on my side against the boss. Instead of just allowing things to play out and watching how God moves in your scenario. It's still, it's the devil. Next slide, please. Was that me? No. <laughs> Thanos, I curse you. Luke chapter 15. We have some people. Did they, did Pastor Sean go to the movie right now? Oh, I'm, I'm so joking. <laughs> I'm so joking. Um, Luke chapter 15. We're coming toward the end of this parable. Remember, Jesus is leaving from the northern part of Israel, going down to Jerusalem. His disciples are going out before him to tell him people what? They're telling people, the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is coming. And Jesus comes behind them saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. But, but we have to understand the kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom. It doesn't function like we do in the world. That's when people do what's natural, when they think they're in control, when they think they have the answer, when they're not waiting on God to hear what to do. You know something's off. God's kingdom does not function the way we would function. It's not natural. But it is how eternity will be run. The Bible says the greatest is the least. The first shall be, I mean, it is not how we would do things. The truth is the universe now is off. The strongest are the ones who are at the top. The, the smartest, the fastest, the biggest, the most connected, the wealthiest. Like That is opposite from God's kingdom. And as we wrestle with this reality, we have to come to realize, wait a minute, this life is temporary. We are in the middle of this now and not yet phase. This is the problem. The, the old way is winding down. But the new way is starting. And there's this gray period where we're at. That's why since Jesus Christ left the earth, there have been people who have seen God's spirit moving on the planet. For the last 2,000 years, it is the evidence that God's kingdom is coming. When you see lives change, people healed, communities transformed, there is evidence that God's kingdom is coming. That, has it. that wasn't how things were a long time ago. In the, in the past, when things were corrupt, they were destroyed. It was wiped out. But God isn't doing it now because there's always that hope that change could happen because God's kingdom is coming. It started as a small mustard seed, but it is going to be huge. But the problem is this world is slowly fading away. We see signs of it. We see wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes in diverse places. We see all these things that are trying to tell us, wait a minute, there's something wrong with our world. And it's going to ebb and fade away. Now the truth is, there's seemingly hope that our world's going to be okay. That things are going to turn out great. But that's not what the scriptures say about the kingdom. God's kingdom is coming. And the old thing shall what? It doesn't say shall remain. The old things will pass away. So if you know that to be true, you have to gravitate and grab hold of what's new. Understand this father represents who or what the kingdom individual will look like. Because that's God. Have you been offended? 
Has someone done you wrong before? And when that happened, what was your response? Right? Let's keep it real. When people do you wrong, how do you respond to the wrong being done to you? In the, in the old way, you just, there's a natural, you get slapped on the cheek, what do you do? I slap you back. Someone does you wrong, what do you do? You do them wrong back. Someone tries to leverage themselves on you on your job, what do you do? You, you get more leverage. But in God's kingdom, we all do one thing. We wait on God to move on our behalf. Because if we do it our way, we'll get our best, and that's not good enough. But if we wait on God, we'll get his best every time. But the problem is when we start trusting God until he finally moves. Now, we are fighting a war, and there's an enemy who's taking people out. This is real. But because you pass away, that doesn't mean the game is over. You just enter into eternity. And I say that because sometimes we're like, I can't trust God really because I saw this thing happen. That person saw that person die, saw that accident. Like, how can I trust God? Like, don't you understand that's been the war from the very beginning? God is trustworthy. You don't know all the different things that happened in that person's life. You don't know family history. There's so much stuff you don't know. So you can't just assume, you know, man, if that person was trusting God and it didn't happen, you don't know. You trust God for yourself. Because when you stand in front of God, he's going to either say, well done to you or not. Luke chapter 15. Now we know the, the, the prodigal is now in the house. The father is celebrating with him. The older son is out on the field. And now the older son is coming back in. He sees a servant. He's like, what's going on? He didn't even talk to the father. The father comes out to him and is begging him to come in. Begging him. And the word begging in the Greek is parakleo, which is what? Holy Spirit, strengthen and comfort. And now we get to 29. The father is begging and now 29. So he answered. The father is begging him, begging him. He's coming. He said, come on, come in, son, come in. This is his answer. Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. Now, we've read this story so many times, we don't even realize how odd this response really is. Your brother is back home alive. We're all celebrating, and you're like, you didn't even give me a goat. You're like, what? I mean, if you really think about it, you're like, what in the world? He didn't say, what are you doing? What are you doing? He's like, you didn't even give me a goat. You gave him the bull. You're like, what are you even thinking about? He's thinking about recognition. I've been doing good all these years. You have not even recognized me. I deserve recognition. For all the work I've been doing, you're not going to acknowledge the work I've been doing. I've been doing it right the whole time, and you're not giving me a party. What? But in contrast to that, as soon as this son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots. Now, this is the part most people don't realize. The, the oldest son has been where? He's been out in the field. How does he know what the younger son has been doing with the money? Nobody told him his, the younger son was a harlot. This is an assumption he has. He was out in the field. The, the servant came to him. The servant left. The father came to him. He's still in the field. He still has not came in the house, which is a sign of disrespect to the father. 
He's like, but as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. You gave him the bull. You gave him the best. And you're like, wait a minute. He didn't give him the best because of his sin. Why did, why did he give him the best? Because he repented. Are you telling me it's not something to celebrate when someone who is dead comes back to life? When someone who is off in sin repents? That is why you celebrate. Now, I was at a party of my, my son's the other day, and, and Jill was there giving us instructions. Like, this is what you should do, right? And, and I'm, I'm thankful because my family, we didn't grow up having parties. So I was like, oh, that's what you're supposed to do. Okay. And we were trying to figure it out at the moment, right? Because I'm not used to celebrating. But, but it's one of our disciplines, Pastor. I know. I'm learning these myself. But the truth is, if someone who is dead comes back to life, I'm going to celebrate. I could at least know that part. When the Vikings win the Super Bowl, dead, and they win it, the life, I'm going to celebrate. Like, I don't need anybody to coach me on that, right? His brother, who he should love, is come back home, and he has issues. Now, this is how deep this is. But as soon as who? This son of yours. He didn't even say, our, my brother, this son of yours. It's your fault, right? Like, there, it got to be somebody's fault. That's what he's saying. And it's your fault, Dad. The son of yours, he's the one who messed up. And now we're giving him the best? Like, what's wrong with his heart? He's proud. He thinks he deserves recognition for all the work he's been doing. And therein lies the point. Your motivations are often exposed. His motivation is exposed. He doesn't love his dad. That's the problem. When someone's motivation is exposed, it shows you where they are and it shows you where they're not. I had to learn, that's the first lesson I learned in ministry. That if I'm doing this for any other reason outside of giving God glory, what's going to happen in time? My motivation is going to be exposed. I'm going to tap out. Because you're in a war. You get married because you, you love the person, right? You, you, get, you get married because, oh, they're the best. And then you get married. Yep. And then what happens? Your motivation gets exposed. Wait a minute. We were making, doing so good financially. The money is taken away. Oh, we were so hot. Now you're not even moving as well. You're not eating as well. Like everything changes and your motivation is exposed. And how we know that's true? Because God said, get a covenant. He said, make a covenant. Why? Because you'll walk away in two seconds if you don't have a covenant. As soon as your expectations are met, I'm gone. Motivation is exposed. Here, his motivation is exposed by what he's complaining about. His expectation was that, hey, if you're going to give him a bull, I should have a bunch of bulls. Like, as, much, as good as I am. And all the while, what he's saying is, I don't love you but I love what you can give me. I don't really care about you as a person, 
but, but I care what you do for me. And sometimes we even take that in our relationships. Like, I'm not really here because I love you, but, but, but you can give me, you can affirm me. You can help me out somehow in my life at this point. Like, I want you to feel, make me feel good about me. And, and dad wasn't making him feel good about him at this point. And the only way he'd feel good is what? If he got more recognition than his brother. Next slide, please. And he said to him, this is a dad response, son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. Why is that so important? He's like, what else do you possibly want? You, you have me and everything I own. The old pastor I used to say, uh, old pastor I used to have a long time ago, used to say, Jesus is enough. Like, if you have Jesus, you have everything. Like, what more do you want? Then when, that's what God told the ancient Israelites. I am your exceedingly great reward. I used to read in the Bible that the Levites, like all the other tribes got like land. I was like, oh, land, land. The Levites, they got no land. The Levites, they got God. I'm like, what? <laughs> you, oh, that's so wrong. I mean, I'm young. I'm like, that's so wrong. They got God. That's all they got. Wait a minute, they got God. What else do they need? Is God enough? He's telling them, look, son, you are always with me. And all that I have, you, you got me. You're always with me. Like, what more could you possibly want besides me? And everything I have is yours. Like, what else could we add to this? It's not Jesus and. It's just Jesus. And can you be content with just Jesus? And if not, that is your problem. That's when you need to go and do some evaluation. Because you know what? I want more than just Jesus. And what is that all about? He goes on and says, it was right that we should make merry and be glad. And honestly, the Greek idiom is basically like a, he had a moral responsibility. He's like, we have to do this. Like, we'd be in the wrong if we didn't celebrate this son coming back. This is what we have to do because it reveals the condition of our heart if we don't. Explanation indicated by Literary Connective 4. For your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. That word, I like that word right here. That word lost is apocalypto. Um, no, it's actually the word destroy. It's um, Apollos, like in Corinthians, the guy Apollo. He, said, you're, you're, he was destroyed, and now he's found. He's, he's put back together. See, you got to realize this, this older son was off, and he did not even know it. Now, this is the awesome part of this parable. It's the end. There's no more. It's like a Christopher Nolan movie. You're walking away like, oh, what just happened? And you have to decide the outcome. And that's the message for us today. If we're walking in pride, what do we do? Because we decide the outcome. If this young man doesn't come to himself and say, you know what, I need to get this right, what will be the outcome of his life? We live his life in misery, complaining. Because you know God does what to complain? He judges complaining. That's a sin. That's why most of the Israelites fell in the Old Testament, in the, in the desert. They were grumbling. 
Because a grumbler is the evidence of what? Pride. Oh, you think it should be better. Oh, you think you could do it better than the way God's doing it. Oh, okay. And then what God does, he takes a step back. You do it. And then it goes bad. Got a couple points. We're done for the, this is the longest point I ever had in my life, but I had to put it anyway. It says, the father's warm reception made way for the youngest son to be received back into the household, yet his actions revealed the hardened heart of the oldest sons. So sometimes, even though this was a great thing that happened, what was revealed is the condition of the oldest son's heart. And sometimes when good things happen, those people who are in our body, who are in our fellowship, who are in our lives, how do we respond to them? I remember I wrestled with jealousy, envy, all that stuff a long time growing up. I used to play sports. And when someone was faster than me, you know what I did? I had to wrestle. Oh, ah, I was jealous. He's faster. So I'm like, rawr, rawr. pride. I'm, I'm, it's my motivator. I'm going to be faster than him. I'd push. So I would be the fastest. That's how most professional athletes live. We call it what? Competition. But it's really pride. And I had to realize, like, I had to give that over to God. Because doing it to be the best isn't the same as doing it for his glory. And, and if you're doing it for the wrong motivation, how are you giving God glory? Next slide, please. Because of his great love, God can accept us full. <laughs> and I even edited that. That's the second edit, too. So because of God's great love, he can accept us fully. So all we got to do is say, you know what, Lord, I'm off. I'm wrong. And just come back to him. It, it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect once you get back to him. It just means you acknowledge that you need to get back to him. Because oftentimes straying from God doesn't mean that you're walking over here literally, but it means your heart walking over there literally. That's why we say worship is bowing your will to the will of God. God's will is singular. Our will is not. Next slide, please. Rejoice at the wondrous love of your heavenly father. I remember one time somebody hurt me intentionally. And I had to forgive them. I had to let it go and move on. And that was hard. Why? Because I demand justice. I wanted them to pay the same way they hurt me. Like, that's how we naturally respond. When people hurt you, what? You want them to what? I want you to feel what I feel. Then we'll talk. But the problem is we hurt them more, right? We're like, well, you, you hurt my arms. I'm going to hurt your whole body. <laughs> so you feel what I feel. I know that they feel that, right? <laughs> like, we don't know how to measure out the response. That's why it was Billy Graham. I think it was Billy Graham who said, you know, great marriage is really two forgivers. We have to forgive. God shows us this great love. Next slide, please. We need to do this so that we can cherish the quality of his love for us, so that we can share his love with others. And that is the whole point practically. When we are walking in unforgiveness or pride, we are not sharing his love with other people. Why? Because at that point, it's all about us and not about him. See, there's a utility to this walk with God. God is trying to use you to help others. 
And if you're not walking in love, how can you help others? That was a little scary. Next slide, please. God's love silenced the haters. And sometimes you may be the hater. Sometimes I'm the hater. <laughs> God's love silences it, Titus. That's so beautiful. Oh, thank you, buddy. Oh, okay. Okay. Huh? Go sit down. Um, yeah, you can, if you can find it, you can have it. The last slide, please. Sit down, I'm coming, buddy. Remember, your love for God is revealed by the quality of your love for others. And I love how God does that. There's a lot of people who say they love God and, and they have a hard time loving other people. I love this scripture that talks about you say you believe a God you, you don't see, but you don't even believe the ones who you do see. You, you say you care about a God you, you don't see, but you're not caring about the people you do see. Like, that love that is directed toward God, it should be emanating toward every other human being in your life. Do you love God? Well, we know how much you love Him based upon how you're loving other people. It's tangible. We can qualify. We can use quantitative analysis. Some of you are quantitative people, but we can use qualitative analysis. We can look at it. We can measure it. We can say, oh, I see how much you love God. Now, we may not have the formula to do it, but people do it, I think, intuitively. We can measure that stuff. We see how much you love God. We're looking at your motivation. And our hope is, regardless of where you are on the spectrum, that if you know you're off, just humble yourself. Come to him and let him. This has been a presentation of Endurance Church. For more about the ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash endurancechurch. And like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash endurancechurch.tv. Remember to live well and finish strong.